Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Today, I'm privileged to have Scott Channel joining me today. He's written a book, you know, How to Get Appointments. And one of the hardest things for a lot of salespeople is getting an appointment with someone that's got money, someone who's got need, and someone that wants to do something right away. Scott, welcome to the program. Happy to be here, Omar. Thanks for asking me. So, Scott, in 90 seconds, why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, essentially what I do, and it totally by accident was never my life's dream, but I help companies to secure first meetings and discovery calls with strangers and uh, typically larger ticket, multi-step sales process, but not always. And the key is that the sales process starts with a meeting or a discovery call. And the margins on the sale are sufficient so that the prospecting effort makes economic sense. And common scenarios are companies that need to scale faster than maybe their current marketing methods can deliver, or you have founders of companies that uh, get to a certain point based upon their personal networks, but now they need to reach out to strangers and uh, get a foothold, and they really don't know how to do that, uh, or people that need just to open up a new vertical or upgrade to a better class of prospects. So going directly to um, those companies that can afford them and write to the decision maker and securing that first meeting or discovery call is, is key to their growth. Brilliant. Cause you know, I, I hear a lot of salespeople whine, you know, if I can just get in front of, uh, decision makers, I close like crazy, but I just can't get enough of those first appointments. And you know, Hey, that's called uh, selling. And that's the first step to the sale. Yeah, absolutely correct. I mean, probably 95% of the people who call me say exactly the same thing. You're right. So what prompted you to write the book? Well, uh, the, the most recent book, the sales script book, I wrote because, you know, most people who call me who need more appointments, the first thing they say to me is we need a script. If only we had a script. Now, I got to tell you, that is not what they need. Okay. You know, if they want more meetings and more discovery calls, the script is only about 25% of the reason or part of the bigger plan as to how they're going to get there. But that's what they think they need. So my first book was entitled Setting Sales Appointments, which went through the whole process of, of selling. But because people just focused on that issue up front on scripting, I thought I would break out the scripting part of the first book, expand upon it, and really break down um, the, you know, what you say to gatekeepers, what you say when the decision maker picks up the phone, the voicemail, and so forth, to um, to meet that need that so many people ask me for. Even though I want to say it's not the thing they should be asking me, but it is the thing they they start with. And sometimes I would think it's more like a health club membership. Just the thought of having a script is enough. And a lot of times they won't actually use it because 
the issue was never the script. It's the fear that comes up into going to the great unknown. Well, actually, that that is true. A lot of people freeze at uh, anything that's new, uh, calling people, and actually let too many things go through their head. And, and really, when you call, and when I work with companies or a person that I train, is we start with the basics, and I really encourage them get the get right on the basics, and then once you understand the principles in play, um, you, you'll know how to respond to anything that comes up. You know, sometimes I see companies that they want people to memorize responses to fifty questions or fifty scenarios, and that's the wrong approach. And people just freeze. There's really uh, in any company I deal with, typically there's there's fewer than eight or nine very common scenarios that you really need to master and everything flows from that. You know, I'm really convinced that, you know, at Gitmo, instead of like waterboarding and doing this sleep <laughs> deprivation, if they just got them to make cold calls, they would have said, okay, okay, I give up. Here's where Bin Laden is. So, uh, Scott, tell me about your first sales job. Oh, it was great. So my, my first sales job, it was, uh, actually kind of interesting. It's when I was a teenager before I had a license and I, I used to, I uh, work on a swimming pool crew and I, I got the idea because I saw people who could work on pools making a lot of money that um, I would start pitching uh, pool service jobs. So before I had a car, before I had a license, um, I was out there selling uh, pool jobs and my mother used to drive me to the gigs um, that I would sell and uh, I would do the job and she would pick me up. And then throughout school, um, during the summer and on uh, when it was warm, I would build and service swimming pools. And it kind of interesting, I'd always start Umar working for someone else, always. And then halfway through the summer, I would um, quit, usually in an inglorious manner. And then I would put it in the paper and, um, and then go out and pitch my own work. Say, hey, I can make more money in a weekend than I can working for, for someone else, you know, for a month, you know, so why not do it? And so that actually is what started me in sales. Tell me about the best deal you ever closed. Well, you know, I, I don't know if this was the, the best deal from a monetary point of view, but I'll tell you, my, my favorite uh, gig was actually a company in the Midwest that for uh, two and a half years, every single month, they would fly me out there to train all their new salespeople. And during the period I was there, they grew from $15 million to $90 million. Now, not be because of me necessarily, but they just had a great company and a great culture. I just love the culture. I love the people, loved how they treated people, really smart selling, really collaborative, and uh, really probably probably my favorite favorite gig in my career. And we've all had sales managers. Is there one that stands out? Oh, yes, that, uh, yes. Uh, and if they, yes. they do, what's the attribute they had that oh. uh, really stays with you? Absolutely. Uh, e Easy case, Michael Thames, um, one of my very rare regular paycheck jobs in my life, uh, actually was my first uh, appointment setting job in the mid-1990s. And he was so supportive, encouraging, he really knew how to motivate people. And then whenever I would book a meeting or set an appointment, uh, he would stand on a chair in the middle of the room and clap. And he stood on that chair a lot. That's pretty cool. Really hard for those claps. And... Um, what made him good was if he was a very strong sales manager. He knew sales. He knew what drove sales. He would support the right thing. 
uh, less competent and knowledgeable managers just kind of go with the flow or they're very willing to just do what the owner or the CEO wants. But Michael would advocate for what was right. Um, you, you just wanted to climb climb mountains for that guy and, uh, and got fantastic results with him. So just to kind of dig a little deeper. So are you saying that, you know, he walked his talk, he had integrity, and he also had uh, a ton of support for his uh, team members? Yeah, he just, he just, it, you know, was very supportive of his team man- members and, you know, you know, was willing to do what was right. And it just motivated you that you were going to have that support. So what happened when, you know, I'm sure you screwed up uh, once in a while. Uh, how did he tackle that when something was going wrong? How did he bring his leadership in to get people to right the ship? Well, well, first of all, and, and that is really a great point, because what good sales managers understand is that uh, things are not right from the get-go and that people do make mistakes and they do have to learn. So rather than playing gotcha, I, I think, frankly, less competent sales managers love to play gotcha, is they would learn things that didn't turn out the way we had hoped or uh, as learning experiences and discuss it and talk about options and how to do it next time. And it was just a great system. But he didn't play gotcha and knew that people were going to make mistakes and have to learn things as they go along. And it was just part of the normal process. It wasn't treated as if you had done anything wrong. Brilliant. So tell me about a come to Jesus moment where things were going sideways and you had to figure things out and you know change the direction. Well, I'm not so sure if it's come to Jesus in the sense of change direction, but um, one of the things I was thinking of was very early in my career, I remember a meeting I took with a um, decision maker of a company. And I remember after making my pitch, and I forget what the proposal was or anything, but he looked at me and he says, Scott, he says, if this isn't worth $15,000, it's not worth my time. And I remember thinking about that. It hit me like a ton of bricks because you're trying so hard to create value and, and, and so forth that it really made me understand that um, people do have money. They expect to spend it and that low pricing doesn't necessarily uh, help you with higher quality clients. You know, they expect to pay for expertise. And if you're too cheap, you're really not taking seriously. So that was uh, that was a major moment in, in my sales career. Yeah, we all have those defining moments. Uh, so tell me about uh, a deal that you almost lost and what you did to save it. <laughs> okay. This was um, uh, great, great. I like this story. So great opportunity. And the story was a very large company that had hundreds of independently managed offices around the country. I call, I, I get a call from them and they say, hey, look at, you know, we've got a branch that for years was among our lowest when it came to our, our worst performers, when it came to appointment setting, closing, and, and average account. And in a year, they went to the top of the heap. They went to the very top of hundreds of these offices. And we called them and said, what the heck are you doing uh, down there? And they said, hey, uh, in the old days, Omar, I used to sell, when people bought CDs, I used to sell this thing called the seminar in a box, okay? And it had uh, like 20 hours of tutorials on what I teach. So they had bought that and um, using those tutorials in my first book, they had gone from the bottom of the heap in terms of prospecting productivity to the top for this very large company. And uh, after making a proposal, um, the the person who was making a decision said, well, I want references. 
and I said, oh man, and Umar, I, I not only wanted this gig, okay, but I think at the time I really needed this gig. So I right. was like, oh, what do I do? It, you know, if I just do what they say, I know that's never the real issue because people who know what they want do not ask for references. The only one who asks for references are people who are clueless as to what they want or they're a middle manager and they just have to paper a file. All right. So I knew this guy wasn't looking to paper a file. So I figured, hey, he either doesn't know what he wants or he's just grinding me on price. So rather than go down that road, which I knew would probably lead to me maybe losing the gig or certainly um, you know, refusing it based on price, I wrote an email. I gulped really hard. Okay. And I wrote an email that said, hey, look at if the results I got with, with your office and my books and my recordings and all my articles and your discussions with me aren't enough for you to have that level of confidence with me, I think we're not a match. And, you know, talking to people who you know are going to say I'm great anyway, who are not in your industry and not your situation, is not going to resolve whatever issues there are in your mind. So, you know what? Why don't we just part friends? And then, I, and I, oh man, I thought real hard before I sent that email, but I sent it. I heard nothing for 10 days. And then I wow. I got a panicked phone call from uh, this guy from the golf course. He'd never seen my email. And when he realized I had decided to walk, he panicked and called me and immediately came to terms. It was a great, uh, great, great uh, gig. And, uh, you know, they've been long-term clients ever since, but, you know, it, I think the lesson there is, you know, you have to understand the sales process and where it can go wrong and you have to know what the right thing is to do. You have to know what the, where the probabilities are, I think is, is a way to say it. And at times you have to be willing to walk away in order to get the deal. Brilliant. And that's a scary thing to do for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's part of why you really have to be schooled in the craft of sales because it really is, I think anyway, it's the art of probability. And the more schooled you are on the craft of sales and what uh, could lead to a sale or where sales typically get derailed, then the better decisions you can make about how to keep things on track. So, Scott, uh, you've gotten more than 2,000 C-level appointments. So how do you go from like zero to 2,000? <laughs> uh, total accident. Uh, the way that it started was um, my first business out of school was I had a marketing agency that really focused on professional services marketing, mostly lawyers, accountants, selling intangibles. And I did all sort of the normal uh, things you do in a marketing agency. So it was yellow pages, it was direct mail, it was uh, TV commercials. And then by accident, I was very good at writing response stuff, whether it be commercials or ads. And I don't, I forget how it happened, but uh, someone asked me to write scripts and work with a telemarketing team that was booking appointments for home heating oil, if you can believe it. And did that gig, it worked out extraordinarily well. And they were booking more home heating appointments in the slow time of year than they used to in the busy time of year. And then uh, I saw an ad in the Globe for a company that sold nationally a, a boutique firm uh, in an industry dominated by giants. And, and, and they said, when we can get in the door, we can sell. They had six uh, national salespeople. 
target market companies with at least a thousand employees, they had to enter at executive VP or CEO level. Uh, they hired me, and uh, that was really where I cut my chops in appointment setting and created the bones of the system that I still use today. So I booked 500 meetings, cracked the code there, uh, booked 500 meetings at that level, and then for years gigged it uh, around New England, calling companies, practicing when I preach, hey, do you have salespeople? Do you set appointments? Do you want to improve your system? And then I would go either either train or set up the programs or do the calling. And then um, at some point decided, well, if I want to be something other than a regional schlepper, I need to write a book. So I wrote the first book in 04, Setting Sales Appointments, which outlined the whole process. And that just opened up a whole new world of exposure to companies and scenarios and uh, is pretty much all I've done um, for the last 20, 23 years or so. So I'm going to be uh, embarking on a campaign to uh, reach out to uh, 200 companies uh, this quarter so I can identify the uh, VP of sales and so I can get the target list together of uh, people within these companies. So I'll probably have a list of 400 people. Once I've got the list, I need to find telephone numbers. So walk me through the process. Once I've got the names of the people through LinkedIn, let's say, how does one roll this thing out? Well, the the keys are that, uh, you know, you're right about hitting the right audience, but let's, you know, this is actually a major mistake that people make because they say, well, I've got a decent list and they start there. But one of the biggest mistakes that people make, Omar, is say, um, Although they most of the time think they have the best list that's going to be most responsive, usually they're not correct, to tell you the truth. So the issue is, you know, really making sure that you have profiled your most responsive buyers or the people who are most likely so that uh, when you you do select those 200 or 400 as you pick it, you truly know that those are the best 200 or the best 400, the highest probability, most responsive targets that you have. Uh, You need to be set up for efficiency. So you need some type of contact manager so that you can work efficiently. Um, Anybody who's working off Excel spreadsheets or paper systems, you might as well just forget it. You have absolutely no chance of success. So you have to be able to work efficiently through that list. And then you need to uh, engineer, this is kind of interesting. You don't hear this often, but bumping into people at the right time is actually uh, a big part of why people are successful. You need to move efficiently through that group because in your list of 200 or 400, as you put it, you know, there's probably only, you know, about 15 or 18% of them are actually um, in buying mode. So you need to work through that group efficiently so you can bump into those who are in buying mode at the right time. And then, as I say, when you bump into people at the right time, don't screw it up, meaning you have yeah. to have something to say so that they could say, oh, wait a minute, uh, this person doesn't sound like a time waster. They sound credible. Sounds like I get some value. Hey, even if I don't hire them or speak to them again, uh, you know, I should spend some time. I'll meet with them or let's set up a discovery call. 
So what are your thoughts on uh, platforms like uh, phone burner where you can actually, it queues up the calls for you, leaves automated messages if you need to, but it allows you to uh, quickly move through the list. So it's not so much a CRM as it is uh, a tool to help you call more effectively. Well, you always have to start with the basics. I think one of the drawbacks is that people immediately think that if it's faster, if it's easier that somehow that's going to solve their problems. And, you know, you can't pour gas on a fire that isn't already lit. All right. So if you have a lousy list, if um, you're not interacting with them uh, in an efficient manner, if your scripting stinks and you're totally unprepared, you know, the fact that you use some technology tool that is going to allow you to call the unqualified faster is not going to help you. So before you try to go for speed or use uh, these technology tools, you really have to make sure that you have the basics in place first. And and frankly, um, for most of the work that I do, which is usually higher level stuff, and I wouldn't say that those tools necessarily are being used for effectiveness. And I think if you have the phone and basic email systems uh, more times than not, uh, basic tools used effectively is going to get you where you want to go. And I find many times, you know, the gadgets and what's new on the block is really more of a distraction than um, a key to success. Good advice. So, you know, the, the selling climate has changed and a lot of people like cold calling instead and, you know, getting someone on the phone is more challenging. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting is that uh, from my perspective, I mean, I think obviously cold calling is not dead um, because many people do it. I work in many industries where the main uh, way of getting new clients is by reaching out and securing that first appointment. And uh, it's a tool, Umar, like any other marketing tool. You know, marketing, not every marketing tool is suitable for every situation, every industry, or every company. And you need to select the right tools and then use them correctly, okay, in order to get the result you seek. So maybe cold calling or cold emailing or reaching out to strangers is not the most effective tool for you. Okay, cool in the gang. No problem with that. But it's incorrect to say that it that it's dead because a lot of people are using it. Yeah. And I know some uh, folks out there that are closing large accounts and I don't have the quote right, but this was from like a long time ago. Uh, somebody had said, you know, hey, the greatest bargain in America is putting a dime in a call phone and calling anybody and uh, uh, now calling is actually free. So it doesn't even cost you a dime. Yeah. And you know, and if I can go back to your original question, you're talking about what has changed. You know, actually I think that's a major um, strategical mistake that people make because although technology has changed in the selling environment or the prospecting environment has changed a lot in the last 20 years, the, the drivers of what works has not changed. I mean, calling the right list has not changed. You know, interacting with high uh, probability targets um, has, has not changed. Uh, messaging that conveys a reason to meet, uh, the drivers of that has not changed. And, um, you know, so it's not so much that you're doing things differently in terms of picking lists and interacting with so forth. But I think what's happened because of the competitive sales environment, you have to do those things even better. So it's not that you're doing it differently, but you have to be even better at picking lists, knowing how to interact 
um, effectively and efficiently with a group, knowing how to craft messaging. And I think there's less room for waste and inefficiency than there was today. But I think the drivers of what gets results have remained remarkably similar. So, you know, messaging is critically important because oftentimes, you know, we know what's important to us, but uh, our customers don't care. So how do you craft the messaging that uh, gets people to uh, stop their thought of, I want to get this person off the phone and actually engage yeah. with you yeah. to see if they should uh, engage you? Yeah. And you know what? Can I repeat for emphasis something you just said? Our customers don't care. Okay, they don't care. So when you're crafting a a message, there's a structure that plays in Peoria, I guess I'll, I'll say it, and that once you identify a decision maker within a company that could be a great account, you know, what do they need to know? Now, this is a big factor that I think many people don't get right, is that you're actually speaking to two groups of people. You're talking to the larger group of people who no matter what you say or how you say it or how friendly you are, they're going to say no. And then you're speaking to a group of people. Uh, I think it's about 15 or 18% of that uh, good group that you call, to use your previous example, who, if they heard the right things, would be inclined to go to the next step with you or have a conversation. So you really need to think only of those people that have a need that you can fulfill and totally 100% focus on them. A lot of people make the mistake when they hear no, 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 is they start to water down their messaging to have more comfortable conversations with people who are never going to buy from them. And I think that's ridiculous. You really need to stay lock solid on your messaging so that um, when you speak, you can say, hey, if this was a person that had a need I could fulfill and they are dissatisfied with their current situation, if they're looking for options, I need to say, am I saying the things that would have made enable them to choke on I'm all set and go, ah, maybe I should listen to this guy a little bit more and then say, sure, I'll meet. And that's really what you're going for. Uh, would you like me to I share the structure of a pitch and give you a little sample? Yeah, just before you do that, I just want to share something. Uh, a guy called Gary Maxwell said this uh, pretty brilliant thing. And it was, you know, if your marketing does not have the ability to offend, it does not have the ability to convince. And I guess what he was saying was, you need to know, be tight on your messaging. And if you get people to opt out of your offering, that's way better than uh, watering it down so you appeal to no one. It, it, it's absolutely true. And you know what? Those who are most effective at this in getting the most yeses also get the most no's. So you you have to, when you're really good at something, you call a group, people who have a need are going to recognize your message and say, hey, I want it. You're going to get your yeses. But at the same time, uh, when you're very clear and concise about what you do and what you offer, people are going to get it and say, nope, don't need it. Waste my time. Your mother wears army boots. Get lost. And same message, diff different audience, totally different, res different result. Brilliant. So give me the structure uh, that uh, is most effective at getting the information across. Yeah. So, you know, very basic. Um, you know, if you, you call someone, what you don't want to do is you don't want to sound like a time waster or, or you know, the, one of the many people who are not skilled at this and waste people's time. So what do they need to know? They need to know um, who, you, who you are, where you're calling from, why you're credible, 
uh, why you're more credible than, than anybody they could find in a Google search, what they might get from you, and what they will get at a meeting or discovery call that's worth their time, even if they don't hire you or talk to you again. So basically, the script goes something like, hey, th- hi, this is Scott from uh, Megger Industries. We supply red widgets, uh, 623 companies, including impressive company A, well-known company B, have selected us for widget supply is they get mega benefit A, desired benefit B, and very competitive pricing. Love to introduce ourselves, share how other companies have improved their production process, reduced rejects. Would you have some time in the next week or two? Boom. And then you do the hardest thing in the world for a salesperson to do. Shut up. And I want you to notice, Umar, that I did not start with, how are you? Have you got a minute? I know you're busy. I'll be brief. That is absolutely ridiculous. I know many people believe it and preach in it, but I think it's nuts to say that. You know, the top performers get to the point in the first few seconds of an interaction are really the most important. And to use it up and communicate absolutely nothing of value to a buyer is just nuts to me. And in fact, uh, my personal opinion is those that uh, say those kind of things are the biggest time wasters of all. Uh, So don't be afraid to be direct, very professional, Give people the ability to say yes or no. That respects people. And I have a saying, you know what? If you uh, sound like a time waster and you say the things that people who waste the time, who waste people's time say, they're going to lump you in with the idiots. So don't make it easy for them to lump you in with the idiots. It goes back to that uh, movie, Jerry Maguire, where she goes, you had me at hello. And so get to the point and add value immediately. And if it's of interest, they're going to say, let's talk. If it's not, they're going to say, thanks, goodbye. And you save everybody grief, uh, including yourself. Absolutely correct. So there's a ton of information that uh, you've got. What we're going to do is give out your website and a place that can go see a webinar to get like a deep dive into this subject and really know your mastery. But before we go there, what's something you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to answer it two ways. So the first thing uh, I wish I recognized is that working longer hours really doesn't matter. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you're working more than 50 hours a week or so, you're doing something wrong and you really have to work smarter and you need to know the strategies that convert and you you need to know how to leverage your time. So more effort doesn't necessarily um, the best thing to do. And the other thing, which I think is really important is, you know, I know a lot of people like to go for. Uh, you know, the newest gadget or the strategy, the flavor of the month and so forth. But I got to tell you, working with a lot of companies, um, the vast majority of time, what contributes to a quantum leap in productivity is not all the fancy new stuff, but it's going back to basics. And when people get the basics right, if you do the basics consistently, most of the time you can run circles around your competition. So um, those would be the two things I, I wish I had known sooner. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think a lot of times people give up on the basics. It's like either I know them already or B, try them for a little while and then give up too soon and try something new and fancy. And if you look at any sports team anywhere in the world, if they're not doing things right, the new manager comes in and the first thing they say is, we're going back to basics. Yeah. Yeah, because it works. Yeah, you gotta you everything 
uh, worthwhile is built on a strong foundation. And if you don't have your basics right, I don't care what fancy stuff or newest technology or gadget of the month or flavor of the month you add on top of it, you're not going anywhere. So if there was one piece of advice you could give a a B-level salesperson that hasn't gone into the A column yet, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, Well, two things come to my mind. First of all is to identify top performers and do what they do, period. Uh, Stop the endless search for something you like and something that you feel comfortable with. And whatever, whatever you do, do not do what all the people around you are doing because the top performers uh, do do things differently. And if you just um, drop the endless search for something that you like or that you feel comfortable with or you think will work and just ruthlessly attach yourself to top performers, study them and do what they do, you're going to vault yourself to the top very quickly. And the other thing I would say to people, the other piece of advice, um, which is kind of interesting, but um, you know, when in doubt, Umar, speak in a clear, firm voice. Because most people will just assume you know what you're talking about. Brilliant. So is there a must-read book that uh, you'd recommend to salespeople? Well, I always, you know, it's not necessarily a sales book, but uh, Influence by Robert Cialdini, I think is a fantastic book in terms of understanding the thought process of how people make selections. In myself, I love anything by Neil Rackham on sales. Uh, Time-tested, still great today. And any book uh, from somebody that's actually done what they're teaching, um, whether it be you know consulting or selling or building a company, I think that's the stuff that you want to read. Thanks so much for spending time with us today, Scott. So Scott, how can people access one of your webinars to really understand how to get appointments more deeply and also engage you as, as a coach and a mentor? You know, really just go to uh, scottchannel.com, uh, S-C-O-T-T-C-H-A-N-N-E-L-L.com, two T's, two N's, two L's. And there's a ton of free stuff there. There's a free trial on a very comprehensive master course. There's uh, downloads, more audio than, you know, you want to listen to, and obviously links to the books on Amazon and so forth. So uh, tons of free stuff there. And I would start there. And if they have a question, obviously can can reach out to me from there. Scott, thanks so much and have a really productive rest of the day. Appreciate you thinking of me, Umar. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results. 